We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. In 1919, he hit 29 home runs and was sold to the New York Yankees. A three-run home run for Bucky Dunn. The Yankees now lead it by a score of 3-2. to Bill Lee is now going over to a couple of the Yankees and there they go again. Tech and A-Rod going at it. Roberts is going. Masada's throw. Roberts, safe. What can I say? Just dip my heart and, and call the Yankees my daddy. Welcome to Fanbase, a deep dive into the greatest rivalry in sports. I'm Brian Shackman along with John Senecal. It is episode 79. We'll call it the Willie Yon Chronicles, right? I think that's a good way to put it. The Willie Yon Chronicles. Yeah, I mean, I will tell you, just reading the story of this young man and his career, but what may be the end of his career, is is compelling stuff. And he joins us here on episode seventy nine. First of all, Willie, how how are you? I'm doing great. How are you guys? Yeah, I, I say how are you because I think this is not just a baseball story. This is like a life story. Yeah. And you're gonna have to like jump in because for me, like I get consumed in these stories, and if I talk too much, you gotta just. I'm tell just me to excited shut up. because he's a success story for Northeast and New England baseball. You know, and he's officially still hasn't retired from baseball either. So there's still time left. Right, he hasn't filed the paperwork. No. But so, you know, Willie, you're 26 years old. And just tell us, you know, what happened this spring and, 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 and why you're here today, really. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I got uh, released from the Orioles uh, after being in big league camp this past spring training. Um, kind of waiting to see if the phone's going to ring with a contract elsewhere in a different organization. So, uh it's been an interesting few months trying to figure out if baseball is officially over or if there's still a chance somewhere else. And this is after like basically three years of minor league ball because you miss a year from COVID and you're just, you graduated in UConn what year? Uh, 15? Was well, it? I got drafted in 17 and technically finished my degree in 2018 okay, in so, the offseason. So basically without COVID, that's like three and a half, four years of minor right. league ball. And mm-hmm. we'll talk about the year of 2021, which was insane even by baseball terms. Mm-hmm. But I want to start off because this, this to me is a life story, not just a baseball story. But you're basically a 26 and your life's been defined by one thing for so long. Tell me about the emotional side of because I mean, I I didn't even get my first job with healthcare till I was 26. So like, it's weird that you're now looking at putting something behind you, and you might not necessarily do that even if you stop playing pro ball. What is that like, like emotionally? You know, it's really weird. Baseball is one of the few occupations out there where you feel old in it when you're 26 years old. I mean, so just just trying to realize that I've, I've given it all I've got throughout all these years of playing. You know, a little over 20 years, including the old T-ball days, but. <laughs> Um, I, I have no regrets so far uh, with this game. I, I've left every ounce of, of my effort on the field, and I love it so much that no matter what happens, you know, in the next month or year or so, uh, I'm, I'm proud of what I've done, and I'm, I'm not I'm not afraid of the end. It's crazy because you know you say you give everything you got, and if you read um, your blog that you wrote, um, you talked about going into your last spring training and basically knowing that you are not going to make it, that you're going to just basically be sent home, regardless of how well you do. But your mindset was, I don't really give a crap. I'm going to go out there and prove them that I'm going to just do my best. And that can't be easy to do. Well, no, there, yeah. you, 
he went into spring training not knowing he was going to get released, but he got told he was released before spring training ended. Right, that's what I'm talking about. That's fi- what I'm talking about. He had about, to yeah. finish spring training knowing that there was a good chance if unless something happened. And I and I do. And it's funny we talk about Moonlight Graham when we talked about Earl. Earl Snyder. Earl Snyder, yeah. And, you know, sort of that Moonlight Graham element. And, and Same kind of thing. What round were you drafting? 25th or 26th? 25th round, yeah. Yeah, and Earl was a 20, 20... Right. Or 36. Earl was a 36th round. But for you, even getting to have spring training time with a big club was a big deal. Talk a little bit about... Since since you just brought it up, John, that almost didn't get a chance. You had a couple of times you were standing uh, on the on deck circle, about to get your first official major league at bat. And, and I have a son, by the way, who is always up on deck when the inning ends, and that's you know it seems to always happen to my kid. But since you brought it up, John, like talk about the experience of at least getting that opportunity to get up to bat in a in a big league, even if it's not the regular season in a big league game. No, it was amazing. I mean, you know, it was because at this time, at the end of spring training, like you guys are talking about, I was already told that unless something crazy happened, I was going to get released. So moving up to the big league camp and having that opportunity with that in the back of my head, I was trying to just ignore the bad stuff and just take in the moment, you know, try to talk to Trey Mancini, Rufnet Odor, those guys as much as I could and just embrace the moment and not let the negative things take away from the opportunity that I had to be able to just step up in the box against big league pitching and give it all I got. Were you surprised the manager knew? Like that was an unbelievable moment I thought when he came over with the baseball. Like did you were you surprised that he knew that that was the, your first hit in any sort of big league situation? Yeah, I mean, I was I was surprised about that and I was surprised that he cared enough to hang on to the ball and, and find me after the game and he gave, you know, put his autograph on there, wrote down what happened. Like that was against uh, Dwayne Underwood Jr. You know, it's all the information's on the ball that he wrote. So I was really, I was really thankful that he did that for me. And uh, I'm not sure that he was doing that for every young rookie that was coming up. So it meant a lot. Yeah, I think that speaks a lot to the game of baseball too, though. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's kind of like that. It's a family kind of thing, and you know that that means something. I mean, that something like that, you're gonna carry further than anything as far as you know championships or anything like that in in your in your baseball career probably mm-hmm. you know that that's such a special moment to you mm-hmm. you know we're talking with Willie Yan here on Fanbase a deep dive into the greatest rivalry in sports i you know it's hard to evaluate yourself and and again i i don't project myself but i i was an average hockey player in a division 3 school but i always thought i was better than my coach thought i was and i always th- i was always mad that i didn't get more opportunity to play re- a regular shift you know Talk about how you perceive yourself. Like, you know, we talk about whether it's like Franchi Cordero, like a 4A type player. Like, what what was the the institutional view of Willie Yan that prevented you from getting that chance? And then what, what do you think of that? Yeah, so it's interesting how the institutional view is actually a good way to think of it. Because early on when I got drafted, I was kind of like a prototypical either like one hole, two hole or five hole hitter who's not going to hit a ton of home runs, but we'll rack up the RBIs or or set the table for the guys who are going to be hitting the home runs and getting all the RBIs, three, four-hole hitters. Um, and then the value of that type of player, I think, even since I got drafted in 2017 to now, has, at least according to the analytical guys, substantially decreased. Oh, so like a, even like a Brock Holt might have trouble making it now. Type right, thing. yeah, I would say. Huh. I mean, at least it'd be more difficult than it was a few huh. years back. But so now it's like, 
you know, I'm not trying to be too stereotypical about the game, but like they would love to see a guy similar to Joey Gallo or Giancarlo Stan. Not me. One through nine. <laughs> <laughs> not me. Yeah. If you've listened to this podcast, you know I don't oh, like Joey true. Gallo. But the analytical guys, they're like, I want either a home run or a walk, or you know, even strikeouts don't matter. They're they're chasing either a home run, walk, or strikeout. Bobby Dickerson said the same thing when he was on the show. You know, they'd rather have a guy bat 220 and hit two home runs every six at bats or mm-hmm. seven at bats and. Yeah, we'll save it for another episode because I want to talk about the the state of the game because I think it sucks in a lot of ways in the sense that I think baseball – I went to the Yard Goats recently and the ball was in play all the time actually and I really had a great time just watching plays made and you're amazed when you go to a big league park how few balls are in play. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I want to get back to what you were talking about though because you come out of UConn and as a freshman at UConn, I mean, you jump right in. Basically, you're a full-time starter pretty much. Mm -hmm. I mean, you you come out of UConn with really good numbers and you you have have pretty good numbers in the minor leagues, but can you talk about like the difference in play Mm -hmm. as you go from college to the minors and then you climb up to AAA and then you get that one taste in that spring training. Is there that much difference between the quality of pitching and the speed of play? Because I mean, I know it's obvious, right, when you watch it on TV. But if you can give us like a perspective on that, like so, how so much? For, it, so from college to the to the to minors, and then from the minors to the bigs, talk about the gaps and and mm-hmm. how how big a jump it is. Because a lot of people say if you can play double A baseball, you can play major league baseball, and obviously that's not true, right? But I mean, I'm sure. Or maybe it's, it is. Ask well, him. You've never been in double A, have you, John? Not quite. I mean, I, not, it's not true, like you said. But I mean, the it's a slow trickle on like the, like when you go from college ball to the major leagues. I, I remember my la- the last at bat I had in college compared to the last at bat in spring in big league spring training. It's like there's an obvious gap there, but it's a slow trickle because you climb up and there's so many levels to get through that you don't really notice it until like I played in the Gulf Coast League my first uh, professional season, and then in 2019 I get a taste of double A, and it's like whoa. That's a that's a huge gap there, but they. You now, when you get, say whoa, are you talking speed of pitching, location of pitching, preparation? Um, well, I guess not so much speed because there's plenty of young, you know, in the Gulf Coast League, there's plenty of young Latin guys that are throwing 100 miles an hour. They just, you know, it's going over the top of the backstop sometimes. Uh, right. But um, it's definitely there's the I guess a little bit of speed in general, like the average speed, like all the guys coming out of the bullpen are 95 plus from Double A up, um, and so, then. So what's the difference? Uh, it's just they're more polished pitchers in general. You're throwing at least three pitches for strikes with control. Um, and I, I, it's I guess the biggest thing is like you got to get at least a hit off of one of the starters who are throwing low 90s, sometimes mid 90s. Because once you get those arms out of the bullpen, it's it's just flames coming. You know, 96 to 100. And that speaks to the way the game is played now too. Sure. Shorter starters, longer relievers. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it's funny. You know, and and again, I go back to Rico Bronia because. People think baseball, there are so many games and so many at-bats that you can so, sort of block it out. But just talk about – you talk about trying to – the pressure to maybe get a good crack at the starter. Mm-hmm. You go over four and you're feeling it. Like the pressure of each at-bat, how do you not feel – how do you block out the pressure of that? You know, I go two for four. Maybe somebody's watching I get – Called up to to double A from single A and so on and so forth. I mean, it we seems say like it all the time to the kids in literally. We're like, well, if you don't, you you want to always fail. You, you're picking the wrong sport because you're going to fail seventy five percent of the time in this sport. You mm-hmm. know, like it's true though. Like, oh, how, yeah. how do you how do you do that on a daily? 
basis. I think you just got to uh, you got to get into a really solid routine and simplify your goals. Like not worry about getting it because a hit in baseball is is generally kind of arbitrary. I could have a broken sure. bat, you know, ninety nine yeah. saws me off, and my bat goes flying, but it's an infield single, or I hit a ball one hundred and ten on the screws right to the center fielder's yeah. chest. So I think the goal, you know, you got to be thinking about swinging at good pitches and just getting the barrel to the ball. And after that, you know, you can't control anything after that. This is like a dumb question, but I, you know, I think about the steroid era. It's like if I were, you know, the best I possibly could be with my body and my mind and I still wasn't good enough, I can understand now the the temptation, right? So, Mm -hmm. you know, do you look at yourself as like I, and it's a dumb question in some respects, but I kind of want to ask it anyway. You know, in your heart, you're good enough to play in the majors. Yes, I believe that. I think it's I think unfortunately the way the game has changed, it's pushed players like me out, but I think that I I bring enough to to the field defensively, offensively and you know, I'm kind of I would say I'm a clubhouse guy as well where um I I think that I would eventually thrive if given the opportunity. It's just the opportunities for me of from above double A were uh, few and far between. And that's what's so hard about the moment you're in now, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is thinking that because I, I believe I believe in myself and I truly thought once the Orioles released me it was an opportunity to to get to the top elsewhere but the you know the phone just hasn't rung. Well, it's also you talk about you know being versatile. I mean, you you've played every position, right? Except for center mm-hmm. field, right? Right. Yep. Yeah, no, that's the only one I haven't yeah. played. Yeah. That's crazy. Like <laughs> you think center field would be? I one, know. Like catcher would be the one. Like, I know. You never, he, I he know. Now, before we go any further, talk to me about your one pitching performance because it didn't go too well. Uh, well, it was funny because I was feeling pretty good about it, and then first pitch, it was the 11th <laughs> inning, so I was I, I was hoping I'd touch 90. I think I hit 87. And I, was throw, I was throwing to Adley Rushman, and second pitch he puts, The guy who's in the bigs now. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. And second pitch he puts down for a slider, and I was like, oh, great. The, the guy's not going to be expecting a slider, and he hit it like 440 <laughs> for, for a grand slam. And I remember after the game, because, you know, only the all the other runs go to the relief pitcher, and I only get charged for the guy who hit the home run. That's right. Right, yeah. so I go, I went to the... I, at the locker room after the game, went up to the pitcher Steve Clemick, and I was like, "Hey, man, I cashed in your runs, and I'm sorry. There's, you know, nothing I could do there." And he's like, "You're not a pitcher. Don't worry." About <laughs> it. Yeah, what do well, I expect? But just real quick on on Rushman, if people don't know, the video went viral of him getting the word that he got called up. I don't mm-hmm. know if you saw it or not. Oh, yeah. And he struggled obviously the plate so far with the Orioles, but he's a top. He might be the top prospect in baseball. I don't even yeah, know. One of them. Yeah. Um, is when you see a guy like that, is he special? Do you see? Is he different? Oh yeah, yeah I, okay. physically it's just, when he takes BP, he's hitting he's hitting balls dead center, like 500 feet from both sides of the plate during like like it's nothing too. So he's gonna make it. Yeah, 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 he's gonna stick. Yeah, yeah, and he, I mean, I've seen he's he can be so consistent. It's it's, it's actually his plate discipline is what makes him. He's he's only swinging at great pitches to hit. So he's just. I think it, it's taking a little bit of time in the bigs right now, but he's gonna be he's gonna be fine. He'll be he'll be an all star in no time. It's unreal. Opinion. It's yeah. It's it, talk to me about some of these players that you got to play with coming up. And you mentioned Trey Mancini, and it's weird because you when when I read your blog too, you mentioned another person, Daryl Morehead, right? Yeah. And, and Moorhead, you yeah. Morehead, and he he. How do you say his last name? Uh, Morehead. Morehead. Yeah. And he, you played for him. Correct. Yep. And Trey played for him. Mm-hmm. And my son played for Daryl. Oh really? Yeah, where, where? it was for the uh, Copperheads. Oh, Copperheads. Okay, yeah. yeah. So it's crazy. Like, and I and one of our friends mentioned your name a couple of times and I just you know I just never really put two and two together and then 
all of a sudden. So talk to me a bit about some of these guys that you get to play with, not necessarily maybe in the major league level, but some of these guys you played against or, you know, when we, we, Yankee fans, you talk about the Martian, Jason Dominguez, and how mm-hmm. these guys are, you know, he's still down in A-ball, right? And this is just basically a second year in A-ball. And who knows, he might never, ever make yeah, anything well, g- Give us an anecdote about somebody maybe we might know or people might know. I mean, know. I saw Ken Griffey Jr. pop up four times in the infield in double A, and my dad was like, you should go get his autograph. I was like, yeah, he sucks. He popped up four <laughs> times in the infield, right? So, yeah. I mean, is there guys that you see, you know, in the minor leagues, and you know, sometimes you're just like, oh, my Jesus, this guy's insane, or what, you know. And yeah. didn't make it, or some guy who was bad yeah. when you saw him, and he's amazing. I mean, there are a few guys, I mean, at least come to mind that are young right now in the Orioles system that are going to be great ball players, either with the Orioles in the big leagues or somewhere else. Gunnar Henderson is one yep. that comes to mind. I think he's He's like their top turned. pitching prospect, right? He, he's a um, uh, shortstop. Short You're thinking stop. of uh, Grayson Rodriguez. Grayson Rodriguez, Rodriguez yeah, I'm thinking. Yeah, yeah, who's, I mean, he can, he's throwing 100 yeah. miles an hour like I throw 80, you know what I mean? It's like nothing to him. Um, those two guys are going to be, I think they're both going to be in the Orioles. I, I know Grayson's dealing with an injury right now, but they could be at the top either by the end of the season or start of next year. Um, Daryl Hernandez is another guy who just got called up to high A that I met last year. During I had spent a little bit of time in low A. I think the biggest thing was last year it was such a crazy roller coaster ride, but I was trying to be as good of a teammate as I could on all these different teams that uh, I got to know pretty much everybody in the organization. So, like, you know, anybody, anybody, I, I was the guy in spring training this year. I had a locker close to the doorway. So it was like everybody that came through, it's like, hey, hey, what's going on? Hey. And the guy next to me is like, how do you know everybody? Yeah. And I was like, well, if you Well, let, let's quickly talk about, you know, because we're conscious of time too here and, and in terms of listeners, let's talk a little bit about your 2021. Then I want to talk about, um, you know, Coach Penders and, and John's topic of, of being a baseball player here in the Northeast. Mm-hmm. Just take people through what last season was like for you. Uh, yeah, so it was uh, quite the roller coaster ride for sure. Started off in Double A and struggled big time. I think I was hitting like 120. Was playing like every fifth or sixth day. Randomly, to that's me, with Bowie or Bowie. How do you say it? Uh, they they say Bowie down there. I right. thought I, I thought it was Bowie until I finally made the team in 2019. And I was like, oh, okay, <laughs> oh, it's, it's not David Bowie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But um, then got randomly moved up, what seemed like randomly moved up to Triple A. But it so was, you you bat under two hundred in Double A, and they call you up. Yeah, and my dad's like, "Oh my God, you, you got the call!" And I was like, "Well, yeah, I didn't like. Necess- I don't feel like I earned it, but right. it was you know it was there were injuries, and they needed a guy to step in and play left field, which I had zero professional experience doing, but got to play left field for a week uh, against the Durham Bulls and hit like, I think besides the last game was hitting like 275 for the series, couple triples, a lot of walks. Did you hit the ball? Um, <laughs> I actually, I swear, there was I hit a ball off the bat that looked like it was because they moved it. It used to be, I think, in the movie it was in right field. Yeah, it was. But the new stadium, it's in left field, and they have like a big, basically looks like a green monster. And off the bat, it looked like it was going right at the bowl and then hooked just foul. Oh. Now, do they still give a steak if you hit it? <laughs> yeah, 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 steak. <laughs> and then there's, there's the grass underneath, and you get a salad if you come up a little bit short. But <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. That's really that's a great story. Yeah. I mean, that's iconic. Uh-huh. I mean, the, you hit the bowl. Yeah, I was I was aiming at it at least. I, I All came right, so close. You, so you go, you so. you were you were in double. You got called up to triple A. Yep. And any other? And so you, so yeah, move back. To, I'll I'll go a little faster now back down to double a then back up to triple a then from triple a got sent down to low a oh so you that was a crash davis moment oh yeah that was that was shell shocking for sure i didn't oh. i didn't think people were allowed to move that far from the top to the bottom <laughs> and yeah so it was that was had to get make that adjustment. what do they say to you um they Not- said they 
their logic was that there wasn't enough room on the AAA or AA team. They wanted me to continue to get at-bats, keep me in the organization, to get ready to go back up there if need be. So they wanted me to just continue to get at-bats in low A. So, so you went down to low A, but we're playing every day. Yeah. Yeah, so I was low A, back and forth between low A and high A twice um, over the course of a month. Um, just Where is Delmarva? Salisbury, Maryland. Okay. Yeah, over by Ocean City. So, and Aberdeen is... They're all right around each other. Is yeah, there? Aberdeen's about like an hour north of Baltimore, and then Bowie's like an hour south of Baltimore. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's we're, we're kind of we're pretty uh, lo- closely located to the mother. Yeah, Orioles were one of the first people to kind of centralize all their. Yeah. So you minor get you leagues. get a call from assistant GM or somebody. Mm-hmm. You get in, and what are you doing for your residential situation? Do you keep the same apartment? Baseball is back, and so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular-season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode. And catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. Well, you have to rent I, a hotel room. My at girlfriend the... and I had an apartment in in Bowie, which turned out to be a huge mistake because <laughs> we, were, we signed a lease. You signed, yeah, oh. yeah. We spent about we spent about two weeks there, and the, over the course of the summer, even though we signed a lease. So, but then the, you know the Orioles were compensating by wherever I was going, covering the hotels okay. and stuff like that. So I think over the course of the season, I got moved ten times. Jeez. Wow. Yeah. So it was like every other Monday, I was getting a phone call to move somewhere. You know, else. this is exactly the stuff we talked about when I was went on that rant about minor league players. You know, they don't care. Now you say they. Covered, they cover you and stuff. But now, do you did you see a difference from like when you first started, like in 2017, 2018, when they weren't kind of giving you stipends and stuff? Like, I mean, it was probably rough, right? Like, definitely, the- yeah. I think it's you know they they try to cover up the the lack of finances with this, that, and the other thing being covered. But the food in general has really improved since I first got in. I mean, they've been there have been players that have posted like you know their cheese and white bread sandwich right. on the fire social. fast sandwich. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think and the Orioles have always been you know the clubbies that we have the guys who like take care of the clubhouse. They always like do the research on local restaurants and make sure it's just a, sometimes we go on the road. It's you know the clubbies are doing the Roll on the dice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just get well, PB and J's and put them out. You know? I mean, it is. It, it first of all, it's embarrassing the way because they're pro athletes. We we dealt with this. The nutrition was so poor, right? And they make so much money on the big league level. The fact that it didn't trickle down more sooner is just, frankly, is embarrassing. Although mm-hmm. I know that the contraction of teams is probably playing a, a part in your story as well, since there's not as many. Uh, minor league teams. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we're talking with Willie Yan here on Fan Base, a deep dive into the greatest rivalry in sports, episode 79 with John Senecal and Brian Shackman. Uh, you know, I, I think we could talk all day about this stuff, but I do I do want to segue into into UConn. We, um, the, my regular day job on WTIC News Talk 1080 in Connecticut, I, you know, I have a, I, I don't have the greatest relationship with the University of Connecticut. Uh, you know, we don't have their rights to basketball anymore, so and, and football, so it's a little challenging. But when you talk sports in Connecticut, it's UConn. Sure, we but have I no mean, other. For, for me, I just went. I did an end around and went directly to Penders, and because he, you know, he his family name is Legend in Connecticut, mm-hmm. and and he comes on all the time. He's awesome, and and he just. I don't know, and so I I want to talk about your experience. You can, I, and then I want you to ask the the regional question, but. Just talk about UConn baseball and a guy like Jim Penders, who nationally people might not know about, but his name is kind of baseball royalty in the state of Connecticut. 
I mean, I, I was blessed to be able to, I, you know, I wanted to go down south to all the schools Clemson or whatever. Warm, yeah. But I, it was going to UConn was the best thing for me, not only for baseball, but just you know, growing as a man. Coach Penders, he he's a great coach, but he molds young men and he, he does it in a way that doesn't some people, are, it doesn't suit them and they're just they want to transfer and get it out. He's not treating them fairly or they, the way they want to be. I remember struggling my freshman fall. Really badly baseball, actually, but also academically wasn't. I was kind of I was messing around too much, not taking my school seriously. And he said, "Hey, you know, if you repeat what you did in this fall semester academically and athletically, you're not going to be a Husky next year." And some people would hear that and just kind of like you to know turtle you shell or... and yeah, yeah, or say or say screw you, whatever. But I was like, I th- he's right, you know what I mean? I should. He's a pretty smart guy. I should take him seriously. And that that. Pep talk he gave me, although it wasn't, he was more yelling than more pep talk, but <laughs> it, it changed my life. And I, you know, he made me, he made me a better man right on the spot right there. And I had a great, uh, you know, baseball spring, but also figured it out in the classroom. And I'll never forget him. You know, he, he was like my, once I left the house, my dad always said, he's like, he's your baseball dad and he's going to, he's going to steer you straight and you got to listen to that man. So I, I was so thankful that I went to UConn when I did and, and he steered me in the right direction. Now, did you have any other choices or, or to go or offers? Um, yeah, I, uh, a, a couple New England schools like Boston College was talking to me, and University of Maine was interested. The, the only, only three baseball schools, right? Right, right. Outside yeah. of Eastern Con, if you. The want only to um, Southern school or Southernish school was Virginia Tech, and they they offered a small percentage, but out of state, it didn't really make too much sense. And UConn, not only I thought was the best for me, and I loved the campus, loved the coaching staff, but it was they offered a pretty good. Uh, package as well and they have i mean for people though now they should take notice because they did pretty well in the ncaa tournament Mm -hmm. but you know they've been a very good program for a long time and they're just in the last probably 10 years starting to get more and more notice but in the last five years you know george springer helps putting him on the map and Mm -hmm. um those kind of guys but still it's uh it's it's amazing that it's taken this long and but when you think about it playing baseball up here is not an easy thing to do because you know Less than a month ago, it was 35 degrees outside. Mm-hmm. You know, and you can say all you want about traveling down south and playing, but you still have to play conference games. You still have to play your regular season. And you know, for you growing up in Sharon, Connecticut, which is even probably is even colder than playing in stores. Yeah. You know, I know from playing my kids playing and freezing on the sidelines. You know, for people that don't understand what it's like to play baseball in New England. Explain what it's like, you know, not only as a little leaguer, but also facing 90 mile an hour pitching and getting sawed off and all that. You know, talk a little Mm -hmm. bit about that. I think uh, we kind of use it as a chip on our shoulder when I was at UConn. You know, if it was if it was like 38 degrees out and sleeting and, and, you know, you at University of Southern Florida comes up to play us in stores. We're pretending, you know, we're all like in T-shirts out during (laughs) VP, acting like we're loving it. And, you know, they're wearing their winter jackets on the field. We would kind of we would use it as an advantage to ourselves. And Coach Penders always made sure that we we had that mentality and we weren't going to let the elements beat us um we weren't going to we weren't going to use it as an excuse we were just going to grit our teeth and play through it uh the husky way what about as far as when you when you're growing up you know everyone did you play a lot of travel ball and that kind of stuff because you did you did you're a good soccer goalie so you were a two-sport athlete right yep. um but you know when kids nowadays you know they think you're going to play all these you know, 65 70 games and all these tournaments and stuff is that really necessary or is it more important to just, you know, be versatile, be good in school, be good at a few sports, be good at whatever you are good at, right? Mm-hmm. Or is it something where you think, you know, did you focus mainly on baseball as much as possible? 
I mean, I, I did for sure, you know, after Little League and making the transition to the Big Diamond, um, I was playing with Team Connecticut Baseball out of East Hartford, yep. and we were before high school because there were CIAC regulations. We were playing upwards of like 85 games. Yeah. So that's kind of the same stuff old. our kids were playing. Yeah, but, my yeah. son played TCB for one season. Now, when, mm-hmm. now, were you like, did you get to the point where you were playing in like perfect game and all that? Or like, you know, talk to me about the level of like, because you see like these, you know, under 16 U teams and the national teams and all mm-hmm. that. I mean, I guess what I'm getting at is can, you, you can still be recognized playing on travel teams and all that you don't necessarily need to be the drew jones or those guys right no see i don't know what you guys are talking about the, <laughs> <laughs> well the the biggest thing for me i would say is like the tcb like 13 14 maybe even 15 year old was pretty beneficial just really hunkering down on the fundamentals and just getting a ton of reps but once you get to high school and and you're you know you've developed a lot those first couple years it's really just straight up you could play town ball you could play this or that like as long as you're playing you know three or four games a week like I remember around TCB where I couldn't get to as many games as I wanted to I would play for the Northwest Orioles I'd play for the Sharon Babe Ruth team you know I was playing for four I was technically on like five or six different rosters and if you're if you're getting your reps in then it's really just you know you just gotta hunker down and mentally be able to handle the daily grind of baseball I think um you know, travel ball once you're approaching college. Maybe, you know, like the perfect game thing you said, a showcase here or there, but I really, I dreaded showcases. That was like, I wanted to get out there and play. I didn't think that my, That's the way my to actually, 60 yard dash exactly. was going to help me hit a but 95 did, but, on our But fastball. did that hurt you in not getting more exposure outside of the region? Um, well, you know, I think what was, it was an interesting thing for me because I was playing out of the Berkshire League for high school and, uh, UConn and they, they weren't coming to watch me at perfect game. They, they came and watched me at TCB for a couple, but I was putting up crazy numbers uh, in my junior year of high school that they just, they came out to, they came all the way to Housatonic Valley and watched a couple games, which I was absolutely baffled and couldn't believe it. But um, I don't, I don't necessarily, I, maybe it did like in a national scope. Like I wasn't, I wasn't going to get as many looks down South or out West or whatever, but um, especially like Coach Penders and, and and Coach McDonald and the recruiting staff at UConn, if if they if they are interested and they they think you have what it takes, not only you know talent wise, but you know mentally, you're a nitty gritty tough New England player. They're gonna find you. Hmm. That's fascinating. I I do think that in growing up in Swampscott, Massachusetts, where we had a rich baseball tradition, there is something about the toughness of the New England athlete, and in some ways, playing a shorter season. It's sort of now it's different with all the club stuff, but the burnout wasn't there. So I felt like the energy for the game was yeah. higher. So mm-hmm. I felt like some of the guys I knew who went to Clemson or South Florida or wherever, they, they end up doing pretty well because they just had still had a ton of energy for the game because they hadn't played as much as the other guys. But that was 25, 30 years ago. It's a different era. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're talking with Willie Yan here on Fan Base, a deep dive into the greatest rivalry in sports. I want to circle back to, to one thing in particular is, is sort of what's next. And, um, I just can't imagine that, you know, I think it's, I think it's a great journey, but it's, it's a journey to have at the age of 26, which I think is difficult because for me, like maturity wise, I I mean, you're way more mature than I was at 26. So maybe I don't know where your head is at, but um, what do you want to do if baseball is is over as a player in in professional baseball? Uh, I think, you know, my dream job would be uh, baseball writing or sports writing in some capacity down the road. I I mentioned it in my blog that um, if I could be a talented enough uh, writer, you know, like a Tom Verducci or Bob Costas that's able to have a vote in the Baseball Writers uh, Association of America, you know, 
uh, like a Hall of Fame vote would just be the coolest thing in the world. Find that I, bastard know, didn't been... vote for Jeter. Put <laughs> oh, yeah. that guy yeah. down. <laughs> yeah, whatever. I'll, I'll find him. I'll find him. <laughs> how but, do you start that journey, though? I mean, you must. I mean, how does that start for you? Yeah. Have you already started? I mean, is the blog part of that? I think the blog is kind of it's like stepping stones towards um, you know actually getting paid for my baseball content mm-hmm. or um, you know pr- creating a book about about professional baseball, my professional baseball experience. Um, I I really like to broadcast. I mean, I don't have a ton of experience, but I got with Chris Jones on the uh, you know WHUS in stores, been able to do like seven or eight UConn baseball games with color commentary behind Chris Jones, which has been a blast. Still very new to it, you know. I put the headphones on when I'm I'm just like, oh my god, don't swear, you know. <laughs> it's not easy. But, it took yeah. me 74 episodes before I did it. <laughs> But um, yeah, I guess you know it seems like the most obvious avenue would be to hop in with a professional organization and broadcast with them, um, just straight up writing and then hoping that my, either a book or my content sticks seems yeah. a little risky to me. You know, it's not very tangible. So I think um, I could I could see broadcasting, sports writing, uh, just to some capacity, seems really exciting to yeah, me. It's, it's interesting because the you know. John has a passion for sports. I worked in sports for years. Because of technology, the barrier for entry is low, mm-hmm. but the, but it also means the space is so crowded. Mm-hmm. But I liked what you said. I mean, until you get paid to do it, you're an amateur, right? Just like in baseball. Right. And so you want to find a way to be a pro as soon as, as possible. What I found interesting in talking to like Jeff Dooley, who does the, the announcing for the Hartford Yard Goats in AA, mm-hmm. is that a lot of minor league teams are, are moving away from broadcasting. Really? Yeah, because there's just not the audience for it. And they're more focused on the in stadium experience. Other stuff, yeah, because that's I mean, there's just not there's no money in it, so why have a headcount for it? Although they do, I mean, like Jeff Dooley does a hundred jobs, but and I still find value in it, but I, I don't know what the future looks like for broadcasting in the minors. So like that would I, further constrict the pipeline of announcers. But mm-hmm. I mean, the, 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 the good part of it is that like, you know, someone like Will Middlebrooks, I think is someone, I don't know if you follow him or not, yeah, yeah. but he basically, and he had a big league career and he, and he married a, a high profile uh, sports uh, broadcaster as well, but he just started tweeting about the game Yeah, and people liked his interactions on social media so like with the UConn stuff I'm not gonna you're not asking for my advice but I think that as much as you could do for like UConn baseball you should Mm -hmm. because in some ways that's just as valuable just as good as any minor league experience or what have you and then just find a way to to brand yourself with that baseball commentary because you know we'll have an episode uh you know you know and talking about these things and I don't know what order we'll do it but I mean the bottom line is is that if there's an audience for the things you want to say and you, they like what you say, they will share it, consume it, and and interact with it. Yeah, that's what we want people to do with this. Yeah, hundred mm-hmm. percent. Listen, it's great talking to you. Uh, I will tell you just from my initial thing. I'm, and it's not like I'm. I did teach English, but I mean, I I think the blog was phenomenal, and I, I will tell you, like I was, I would laughed a bunch of times. I had near tears a couple times. I mean, it's just really. Really compelling stuff. So I've got I, one more question. So your your full name William Wallace. Yes. Jan. That's right. And your father's name's Walt, which yep. I commend because my uh, my middle name's Walter. Oh, okay. My grandfather's name is Walter. You don't my get a lot of Walters. You don't get days. a lot of Walters. You yeah, know, the yeah. Freds and the you know the Arts are not around much anymore. Right. Um, born in 1995. Were you mar- uh, married? Named after 
the Braveheart character, William Wallace. Same so, year it comes out. So many people think that it's actually it wasn't that complicated. It's just my my mom's dad was William, my dad's dad was Wallace. So yeah, that was there it. you go. Yeah, and there and then people were like, "You guys are really big Braveheart." Fans. <laughs> They'll never like, take our freedom. <laughs> they're like, "Wait, we're gonna have to watch that movie. We don't know what you're talking about." <laughs> so it's a big great. coincidence. Yeah. All right, Willie, thanks so much. This has been episode 79 of Fanbase, a deep dive into the greatest rivalry in sports. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.